Well, this morning is May 7th, 2017. Uh, this is an exciting month. The last day of this month begins Shavuot in Israel, uh, which is Pentecost. Our message today is Wrong Way Rain and Witch Doctors. I, uh, I'd like to start by thanking Pastor Sutherland for that message Wednesday. I was out of town, but I got a chance to listen to it online. It was well, well, well. Made it well with my soul. It was awesome. The idea that Father Abraham dug wells and that Isaac had to clear out those wells and that they kept the same name. And in addition to that, he also uh, dug his own freshwater well. This is an extraordinary revelation. We must be faithful to what has been revealed to us and we must continue to get revelation. We must push the kingdom forward, advancing it through every generation and every lifetime. That was an excellent message that Pastor Sutherland gave. I think we ought to start this message just in prayer that nothing would stop up our ears. That whatever the debris is that the devil has managed to deceive us into our hearts, that the Holy Ghost would pierce it today. There are many obstacles and many roadblocks to getting to the inheritance that God has for you. And most of the time, those are not outward forces acting upon you. They're actually lies that we've accepted, places we've become complacent, uh, grudges that we've held, those kind of things. So let us take just a minute and pray for each other right now, okay? Father, we thank you for the eye-opening truth of your word. In the piercing nature and encouraging nature of your spirit. We ask now that that spirit of truth, that spirit of righteousness, your spirit of holiness would dwell in this congregation. Lord, that you would minister to us through your word and your spirit, helping us to remove those obstacles that we might see you as you are. That we might know your truth in all of its fullness. That we might carry out your kingdom on earth. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I don't want to retread the same ground that my brother did. And at the same time, there are a few concepts that are just worth carrying forward. Amen? Amen. Have you ever had to hear something more than once before it became a foundational part of your life? Turn with me to Genesis 24. And in Genesis 24, find the 11th verse. Again, our title today is A Wrong Way Reign and Witch Doctors. In Genesis 24, 11, He had the camels kneel down near a well outside the town. It was towards evening, the time when women go out to draw water. This is the story of Eleazar, the chief servant in Abraham's household, going to find a bride for Isaac. Isaac was the promised son that they had to fight for, that they yearned for in the faith, that they made mistakes in trying to produce, and only God could bring about. Isaac is the son that was offered on Mount Moriah, and yet his life spared from heaven. Isaac is the first son in the Bible mentioned as the one and only who was loved of the Father. Isaac, in every way, is an example of Jesus. And when Isaac needed a wife, she was found at a well. Her name was Rebekah. You can read about that in this chapter. Pastor Sutherland covered much of it. 
Rebecca in Hebrew means a noose, a, uh, an ensnaring thing. And the idea for Rebecca is that it's irresistible. She is so beautiful that once you've seen her, it has captured your heart. If you're a married man and you're in this room, it would be wise for you to look at your bride right now and say, you've captured my heart. If you're sitting next to a man that you are dating or married to, and he did not say that to you, he's in church, he'll have to forgive you. Slap him. One of the most beautiful parts of this story is when this chief servant brings ten camels. And the chief servant's name, Eleazar, means God the Comforter or God is my comfort. So you can clearly see the shadow and type here. When the chief steward comes with ten camels, the woman at the well, Rivka, Rebecca, the irresistible one, immediately wants to bring water not only to the man but also to the camels. This is typology for the bride of Christ that by the Spirit of God wants to carry out the Ten Commandments. More than that, the next thing that happens in the story, down around verse 16, let's read it together. The girl was very beautiful, uh, a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring and filled the jar and came up. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water for your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, uh, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too. Guys, that is so much water and so much work. It's, it's incredible. What happens next is in verse 22, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring. Teenagers, raise your hand if you are in your teens. Nose rings are biblical. I don't like that. I don't like it when you wear them. I don't like it when adults wear them. It makes me want to say you have something in your nose. I don't get it. I don't understand the fad. I'll never understand the fad. I'll be tolerant if you wear one, but I'll think you're a little bit weird. And yet it is biblical. Why did he put a gold ring in her nose? And two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels were for her arms. The bride of Christ who was irresistible, who, who wanted to serve with all of her heart because that was her nature, the first thing that he did was give her something that showed she was divinely led. The next thing that he did was give her something that showed that the works of her hands were divine in nature. The bride of Christ is to be a servant. She is to be led by God's Spirit, and she is to do God's work with her hands. In Genesis 24, we see such a beautiful picture of what the bride is like. Having said that, this is not the only story at a well. Turn a few chapters to Genesis 29. In Genesis 29, pick up with me in verse 2. There he saw a well in a field with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from the well. Here we have Jacob. This is the very next generation. We have Jacob and he meets the love of his life, Rachel, at a well. When you get to verse 9, it says that she's a shepherdess. Oh, 
While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. The only time in all of the Bible that the word shepherdess appears is right here. She's the only female shepherd listed uh, in the scripture as a designation uh, shepherdess. The word shepherd in Hebrew is ra'ah. When you look at the way that its letters are formed, it's a resh, an ayin, and a hay. Each one of them is a unique picture. The resh is a picture of a human head when you make the letter. The ayin looks like an eye, an eyeball. And a hay looks like a man with his hands raised when you write it in the time of the patriarchs. Each one of those carried with them a thought. The reason that the resh looks like a hay, or looks like a man's uh, head, is because he's the first in the premiere of all creation. The reason the in looks like a man's eye is because the letter indicates a watchfulness. And the reason that the letter hey in Hebrew is a man with his hands raised is it symbolizes a breath or revelation. When you look at the word shepherd in the, the script that Moses wrote it in, the Paleo-Hebrew, it's hard not to see the truth of what a shepherd is. They're the one that is watching as their primary job the revelations or the breath of the sheep. See, a spiritual pastor is watching to see what his congregation is receiving from God, where they're at and how to lead them. A natural shepherd, shepherd is watching to make sure his sheep are still breathing, that none of them are sick, that they're okay. What this tells us is that when God lays out what the bride would be like, she's first and foremost a um, servant who would receive divine leading and, and uh, divine empowerment in her hands. In Genesis 29, we find out that she's a shepherdess. She cares very much about how everyone else is doing. The saddest thing in the body of Christ right now is that so many are so selfish, so self-centered. You know, we have an I get mine kind of mentality. We sit alone in our pews and isolated from everyone else. We stay alone in our houses and we interact with the world through electronic medium. The body of Christ is not like that. We have a shepherding spirit. It means that you care about the person on your left and right. It means most of all you care that they're first off breathing, they're alive. And then second, they're spiritually alive. They're receiving revelation from God. Look at your neighbor and say, you're about to get filled with the Holy Ghost. Look at the neighbor on the other side and tell him you're going to get filled with the Holy Ghost. If that offends you doctrinally, we have just begun your offense today. In Exodus 2, go with me to Exodus 2. In the second chapter of Exodus, we see Moses, Moshe, great Rabbi Moshe. And we have just a couple verses on this meeting, and yet they're so powerful. In Exodus 2, beginning in verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a... Well, well, well. Pastor, you did well with that. Now, a priest of Midian had seven daughters. How many daughters? Have you ever read Revelation 1.20? How many stars are in Jesus' hands? How many lampstands are in those churches? How many bowls? How many trumpets? He's fascinated with seven. Revelation is full of heptatic structures. It's almost as if God's plan is based on seven. 
This man had seven daughters, and one of them is given to Moses. When you read this, why is she there? Now, a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. She was there to get water from the well for her father, right? Oh, my goodness. What could we learn from that? She's like a star in the hand of God. She's one of seven who is there with water for the father, water for the flock from the father. It's the father's well. Whether God is showing you how to be a servant, a shepherdess, or one of the stars in the church that is interested in watering the flock, the bride is always standing near a well. This is the well of salvation. It's not the well of marketing. It's not the well of programs. It's not the well of pretty people. It's the well of salvation. The whole point is that we would have an unlimited access to the Spirit of God. Turn with me to John 4. and the Newer Testament, the Gospels and the book of Acts form a kind of New Testament law. The book of Revelation is a book of prophecy in the New Testament. And then the epistles form a kind of New Testament writings. The New Testament is put together in exactly the same way as the Older Testament. When you get to John 4, discover verse 13 and land on it. Jesus happens to be standing next to a well. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become... Somebody say, will become. Will become become in him. Say, "In in him. A spring of water welling up to eternal life. When I first got born again, there was a song that we were singing back then. And like every song from a generation, they sounded better in the time than they sound later. Right? You, You know what I mean? We were singing about, I don't want a cup, Lord. I want a fountain. Make me drunk in your Holy Spirit. That was the song. Now, since then, I love the euphoric feeling of the Spirit. Uh, Of all things that the Spirit brings you, though, He brings you sobriety. He brings you clarity. He brings you crystal clear holiness. Drunkenness in the Spirit is not really something that is is biblical. I'm not saying that you won't be slain in the Spirit. I'm not saying that you won't be so happy you want to dance and those things. I'm talking about the Spirit does not cause you to lose control of yourself. He actually is the Spirit that brings self under control. Uh, We might could use some straightening out of the weird charismatic zoo in that area. Having said that, I didn't know any of that in 1993. I just knew that I wanted as much of the Holy Ghost as there was to be had. Can you say amen to that? Listen to what this says. I will give him, he will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's not a cup. That's not a one-time experience. A spring has to well up to eternal life. It's ever flowing. It's ever growing. If it stops at any point, it's no longer a spring. It's something more like a pothole. Something more like a shallow cow pond. It's stagnant. You know there are two bodies of water in Israel fed by exactly the same source. 
You know that, right? So, so in the springs uh, near, near Mount, Mount Hermon, we have three tributaries. They form the headwaters of the Jordan. They go from Mount Hermon in the north, flowing down southward, and then there forms a sea of Galilee. It's beautiful. It's full of uh, freshwater fish. It's, it's extraordinary. There's ducks in it. There's all kinds of life in it. I was swimming in it one time, and I had that strange feeling, and one of those ducks that goes under the water with a strange serpent-like head popped up next to me, and I thought I was being eaten by the Loch Ness Monster. That's as close as I've come to walking on water. But my life's not over yet. If you travel a little further south in Israel, down the same Jordan River, you eventually arrive at the second body of water fed from the very same source, and it's the Dead Sea. There's no ducks in the Dead Sea. There's no fish in the Dead Sea. There's no life in the Salt Sea, which is why we call it the Dead Sea. Fed from the same source, but one has an outlet and the other has no outlet. One is a continuous flow moving through and the other is a continuous flow moving to. See, a man who is always receiving from the Lord, always receiving from the Lord, but it is not a spring welling up to others, he eventually just becomes stagnant and dead. But the man who is receiving in order to give, receiving in order to give. And those of you who are new here, relax. We're not passing an offering and I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about things that are free and money couldn't buy. We're talking about receiving from the Lord. When it is your life's passion to get the next revelation to share with someone. To be blessed only to go and bless someone else. That is a life that is the abundant life. When it is your life's ambition to receive for you, you are deceived already. You become a dead sea. In John 3, Jesus talks to Nicodemus about being born again. That was a prophecy. Again, if you're not familiar with our way of life and this kind of service, none of those are planned. They don't know what we're preaching on. Nothing has been shared Those prophecies are led by the Holy Spirit and every one of them could have been in the message. They're right on point because we're hearing from the same source. In John 3, the prophecy was about being born from heaven. He speaks to Nicodemus about being born again. In John 4, he doesn't talk to her about being born again. He talks to her about a well of living water that overflows in your life. It's hard for me not to see the baptism in the Holy Ghost in this setting. It's hard for me not to see that we're not looking for a theological check mark or a Holy Ghost spirit badge, a one-time experience at a weekend encounter. We're looking for a relationship that so fills your life that you could be said to never need another source. He's there to drink from so that you never suffer from thirst again. Church, when we're thinking about that, it's easy to say you're full gospel. It's easy to say you're spirit-filled. But the real litmus test for that is are you walking around full of the Spirit every day? When you ask someone, are you baptized in the Holy Ghost? And they say, well, in 1980, I prayed in other tongues. That is dodging the question. You don't think it's dodging the question, but it's dodging the question in the same way as if I ask you, Are you born again? Well, yeah, when I was eight, I was born again. Yeah, that's not good enough for me. 
What I'm asking you is, are you alive in Christ right now? The scripture does not describe a one-time experience as salvation. Salvation is a walk with God. It's continual, constant action with the Lord. And neither does it describe a one-time experience with the Holy Spirit. In fact, you find out that there is a daily filling with the Holy Spirit. Maybe hourly that you respirate, you re-spirit when you breathe in, in, in some manner of speaking. When we consider this, let's move to the New Testament book of prophecy. In Revelation 21, in verse 6. The thing that disappointed me the most, coming from a cessationist background, my world having been shattered, and I got filled with the Holy Ghost. I messed up and got filled with the Holy Ghost, which empowered me in the Spirit of God to walk in holiness helped me in my prayer life and clearly exploded the scriptures to me in my understanding, somehow or another put me in disfavor with the church that I had attended my whole life as a lost man. As soon as that happened, I began looking for other spirit-filled believers. Like, is there anybody else out there this is happening to? And I found people selling handkerchiefs. I found people selling special anointed oil. Uh, People talking about angel feathers. It looked like an old lady busted open a pillow before the service. And I was convinced not only of the insanity of those who speak for God, but there must be something that was in line with Scripture that was also full of the Holy Ghost. He said to me, Revelation 21.6, He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, say thirsty. Thirsty. Are you thirsty today? To him who is thirsty, I will give drink. Say it. Without cost. Drink what? These spiritual witch doctors that are selling their charms for a profit, they have no place in the kingdom. Jesus gives you drink without cost. The cost is not financial. The cost is entirely in your flesh. It turns out that the spirit and the flesh are opposed to each other. This is why in the most spirit-filled circles, when you see the room fill up with guests, you're like, "Mm, I wonder whether so-and-so is going to prophesy in tongues today. Well, amen, I hope so. Wonder whether so-and-so is going to do that victory lap thing that they do. Is is the other one on the front row going to dance with her tambourines? In other words, your flesh is always uncomfortable by the Spirit. That's because your flesh, that are here this, fleshly. You want to be pleasing to the Lord, you have to learn to walk in the Spirit. And I'm here to tell you, Pentecostals, and those of you who are, are not in that camp, speaking in other tongues is not half enough. Not anywhere close to nearly enough. That is no more an indicator that you are daily baptized in the Holy Ghost than the infant certificate is proof of salvation. It's a great start is what it is. We must drink of Him daily. I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He is always described as moving water, a spring of the water of life. If this were some kind of special chalice, Right? If you could send Indiana Jones after it, it would be a stagnant cup 
that if you drank from, you were saved or healed. But it's not. It is a spring of living water. This is because he's always on the move. He will close the distance between you and him if you just thirst for him. He's always doing something new. He's also described in the Bible in Hebrew as ruach, wind. It has to be moving to be wind. If it's stagnant, it's not wind. In Greek, he's described as pneumaticos. He's uh, like a pneumatic tool driven by air. It's wind. And if he stops, it's not him. He's always on the move. So let me ask you, Christian, what does that look like in your life? Have you become stagnant? Has your spring become a pond? Has the wind become just stale, dead air? He said, no, 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 I still love the Lord. That's not what I'm asking you. Not by a long shot is that what I'm asking you. I can tell you in the last month, my walk has been under siege. We've buried our friends. We've visited each other in the hospitals. We've had warfare on every side. It's very easy to let that spring begin to simmer down. It's very easy to begin to think, you know what I really need is, I I just need some more entertainment. I just need some more food. (laughs) I just need something. And all you really need is to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Look, when I talk like this, I'm standing here and I can see how much some of you love that and want that. Some of you look as uncomfortable as a whore in church right now. And I'm talking about the very spirit of Jesus. So what does that mean for you? If you're uncomfortable while I'm talking about the spirit of Jesus, then what does that mean for you? Oh, man. Yeah, we're one of those kind of churches. Uh, I'll come sit next to you and finish the rest of the message. I really don't care how uncomfortable you are. I care about what happens when you leave this room. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, we hear these words. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Oh, and enters the theologian. See? You got all you'll ever get at the moment that you were saved. Well, you were saved as a work of the Spirit. That much is definitely true. But why does Ephesians 5.18 say what it says? See, Scripture is always taken in light of the larger volume of Scripture. Any one area of the Word is better understood by all of the other areas. In Ephesians 5.18, turn with me and let's read that together. This is worth considering. Do not get drunk on wine. Notice he doesn't say don't drink wine. I am so sick of religious rules. The people with the most religious rules have the most ungodly private lives I've ever seen. Can I tell you I have very few religious rules in my life? My entire desire is to be pleasing to the Spirit, to never contradict the Word of God. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. There's a reason you don't drink too much wine. It loosens your inhibitions. You end up doing things that you would not do otherwise. But Jesus drank wine every day. The church at Corinth drank too much wine, and still it wasn't forbidden in Corinth. He said, don't you have your own homes to drink in? I mean, it's incredible the way that we've twisted the Scripture to make it what we would like it to say. Before Prohibition, nobody taught that. 
After prohibition, everybody started teaching it. It became the teaching of the day. I don't want a teaching of the day. I want the teaching of the ancient way. Perhaps if we educated our children on what God wants and doesn't want and likes and dislikes and we encouraged them to be filled with the Holy Ghost and we prayed with them regularly and interacted with them, we would not have to make up rules that are not biblical to govern behavior. I was taught alcohol was wrong and was often drunk. Often. Then I fell in love with the Lord, found out alcohol was not wrong and I've never been drunk since. It's incredible how that works. (laughs) Yeah, now there's another portion of the room that is as equally dissatisfied. (laughs) Look, you just take off your shoes. I will dance on your feet today. We have that kind of relationship. Your likes and dislikes do not move me at all, not even a little bit. His likes and dislikes move me incredibly. And I happen to love you very much, which is why I'm telling you the truth right now. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Is he writing to believers? Do you know that the tense of this phrase in Greek is to be being filled with the Spirit? It's in an ongoing and active tense. The life of the believer is constantly being infused with the Spirit. And what's interesting is what he told the woman at the well is... Once she drank of him, that would become in her something that welled up to eternal life. It would be a bottom-up filling, not a top-down filling. He would put in you something that would sustain you forever. If you would just learn to yield to him more and more and more, you wouldn't have to go into the heavens to get it. You wouldn't have to reach into hell below to obtain it. He would make the Spirit near you, in you, just like his word. Oh, man. What's more is he said, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Keep going. Verse 19. Speak to one another with psalms. Who knows what a psalm is? A psalm, right? This is the largest book in the Bible. These are Hebrew songs written in the Word. A psalm is a Hebrew song Recorded in the scripture. Hymns. What is a hymn? How is a hymn different than a psalm? A hymn is a song that was written in churches usually that praises and glorifies God but is not in the scripture. And spiritual songs. Do you know the 2011 NIV says songs from the spirit? Well, what is a spiritual song in reference to a hymn and a psalm? See... What we're finding here is he wants you to praise God in the Spirit with the Word of God, with your own words, and with words taught to you by the Spirit. This is consistent with Corinthians 14. It's consistent with the rest of the Scripture. But it gets even better. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. What is a sign that someone is filled with the Holy Ghost? When they have psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and in their heart they are making music to the Lord. I'm the most non-musical person in this church. If I'm staring at a metronome, I cannot clap on beat. And yet the Lord has put a song in my heart ever since He filled me with His presence. 
I look for ways to express my love for Him. I sing to Him in other tongues. I pray to Him. I sing in English. I hum. I I cannot stop expressing my love for Him. Has your music in your heart begun to grow dim? See, we have a way of looking at what's around us and letting it affect us. You know, one of the funniest things, I live in an area where uh, we're very diverse. And um, sometimes, because we look a little different than everybody else in our neighborhood, uh, it attracts attention. Especially if you go to the H-E-B by our house, for instance. It's, It's downright dangerous sometimes. And I think one of the funniest things is to see somebody driving an Escalade or a Suburban... Listening to music about disaffected youth. How disaffected can you be if you're driving a $65,000 vehicle? You know, the song that the Holy Ghost was supposed to be uh, singing in their heart was replaced with, with a rap song about being disadvantaged. If you slide just a little further down Highway 6, you find somebody with their name on their belt and a, and a dip can in their pocket. And the song that was in their heart has become a country song. You know, they're bemoaning their loss at every turn. It's ridiculous. The thing is, is the Holy Ghost was supposed to fill your heart with a song of gratitude and thankfulness towards God for what He's doing for you. See, the thing is, is if you're being filled all of the time, then something is happening in the renewing of your mind. The devil cannot pour enough disadvantaged speech upon you. Or enough loss upon you to pull you down. Now, let's just get real though. Sometimes that song does dim in our heart, doesn't it? Sometimes you're not as joyful always (laughs) as as, uh, the scripture tells us to be, right? So what do you do? You have to be filled again. It's a damnable theology that says you can't do that. That's, that is sickening. And it's sickening because it traps people into an experience that is 20 years old and they're not experiencing now. No wonder they have to have other doctrines that pretend that you're doing okay no matter how you're actually, actually doing. I want to talk to you about a miraculous mixture of the heavens and the earth. Because it's my belief that the Lord will breathe into you and change your situation. It's my belief that for every person who is thirsty, there is water without cost. It's my belief that you do not have to walk around beat up all of the time. Now, you know what's going on in this church. You know what we have all been through. And I'm telling you, we can be hard-pressed. We are not overcome. Not by a long shot. We're not even close to a bending point, much less a breaking point. The devil does not have enough in his arsenal to knock us down. Do you know why? We have a limitless supply of heavenly encouragement. All right. On this topic of miraculous mixture, the subject of well or springs makes me think of a missionary. You can always tell when I'm preaching about missionaries, I walk in just a little happier than other times. Uh, I have a very low opinion of the American pastorate. I do not have a low opinion of the pastorate in third world countries. I'm amazed 
at what men are accomplishing that have never worn a pair of shoes. I think it's extraordinary. We don't have to lower the standard for the less educated. In fact, you find out that our level of education here has far exceeded our level of obedience. The less educated are actually doing more with what they've been given than those who are very educated who have done literally nothing with what they've been given. Right? The bare minimum for Christians is 30, 60, and 100 fold. You know, to, to be in the faith 30 years and not have 30 disciples is an indictment, not a praise. I mean, it is a, an indictment. When I'm thinking of missionaries, I'm thinking of men who have changed the world. One life, one family, one nation at a time. I'm talking about nation-changing kind of faith. Would you like to hear about that? The New Hebride Islands are what is now called Vanuatu. And there was a missionary named John Gibson Patton. We have a picture of him, and I want to show that to you. Look at that beard. This is not a man who wears skinny jeans, right? He, uh, He was not confused about his gender. Yeah. In fact, when he's 16 years old working in his father's shop, he hears that the only missionaries that have ever been sent to the New Hebride Islands, they have been killed and been eaten within minutes of hitting the shore. And when he's 16, that's what he hears. And you know what he says to his father? So then, not only the blood of Jesus, but also the blood of these dear missionaries has purchased those islands for us. And at 16, he wanted to go. But as life would have it, Sometime uh, an opportunity presents itself. You can leave the picture there for a while. You know, we're talking about a time period from 1824 to 1907. He gets a chance to participate in the moving of the church in Scotland. And he has a thriving, exciting church. You know, that makes it harder to go, doesn't it? Because he's got something going on here. Why would he go there? I mean, there are so many people here who have need. Yeah, but there's so many people here that should be able to fill that need. The question is, who is there? So he's arguing with one of the elders, and the elder does not want him to go, and he loves the elder, so it's difficult. I mean, in this church, we are guided by our elders. We, we, we rarely disagree with them. Listen to this interaction. This is uh, John Gibson Patton speaking with one of his elders, who will leave nameless, and you'll see why. The elder says to him, but the cannibals, John, the cannibals, you'll be eaten by the cannibals. It's very encouraging words from his elder, right? He said, if I die here, John says, if I die here in Glasgow, I shall be eaten by worms. If I can but live and die serving the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. For in the great day of my resurrection... The body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. How about yours, sir? Oh, I like him. I mean, I like him. See, he had an eternal perspective that said, I have something that they need. I cannot worry about my life. Oh, man, that is the spirit of Christ. Not one who is looking to build bigger houses, get rich, and um, show the world your godliness by your $50 million jet. Taken from the poorest neighborhoods that you can find. You know who does things like that? Drug dealers and pimps and prosperity preachers. His final breakthrough in these island chains that he goes to is so extraordinary that it ought to be taught in every seminary. And yet, 
One of the only groups of people that even acknowledge the man's existence, really, are the Presbyterians, and none of them do what he says. It's incredible. His final breakthrough came from the island of Anawa. He had already taken his wife and child to Anawa from Scotland. That's a long ways. She got sick and died, and so did his firstborn child. He doesn't pack it up and go home. He continues to work, and then it becomes time to itinerate. He goes to Australia because it's the closest large area. It takes him longer to get to Australia than he spends in Australia. It was literally a trip that from beginning to end was like three months total there and back, and he spent two to three weeks in Australia. I've always wondered what this conversation goes like. Ladies, take a hard look at this man. Now imagine that he has shown up and he says, uh, you know, Jennifer, I have a calling to a cannibalistic island. Cool, I know, right? Oh, no, yes, yes, I've been married. She's dead and my child died. Look, I only have 20 more days here. You want to get married or what? Because on his trip, he married a woman named Maggie, who he met on the trip. I have to confess, we wouldn't allow that to happen here. It it would take like 18 weeks or so of marriage counseling. We uh, We would not do this. But it's hard to argue with the results. Because Maggie had 10 children with John. four of whom died on the island, but six of whom lived. And one of them spent his life on the island as well. I'm trying to give you an idea of the cost that John Gibson Patton experienced to do what I'm about to tell you that he did. His chief breakthrough on the island of Anawa came when he realized that the chief of the island, Namaki, was completely subject to a witch doctor. And what I mean by completely subject to the witch doctor is a monkey bone, shark teeth wearing witch doctor. Like, we're talking full-blown witch doctor. Has the only fresh water source on the island, right? And it's under his control and everybody on the island has to go get water from him. And of course, he only dispenses it sparingly and it's a kind of extortion scheme. You know what I mean? Of course you know what I mean. It's what most churches are doing. Patton looks at it and he's like, this won't work. He's not been digging water wells. He doesn't know what to do. He begins to pray and walk around the island. He finds the spot that he believes that he will find water. And he starts to dig. That's incredible, isn't it? Now there's a problem. The island believed, because they're completely surrounded by water, they're cut off from the outside world, that if you dig far enough, you're going to fall out the bottom of the island. The gods that they worshipped were shark gods. And the shark gods were going to be displeased and eat them all. That's pretty scary, right? If you believe that, that's pretty scary. So as he's digging, nobody will help him dig. And he's like, I want you to have fresh water Without the guy in the uh, strange religious suit. I want you to be able to have that. But they don't want to dig. So he brought with him metal fishing hooks 
to survive with. And he began to give away the metal fishing hooks to whoever would help him dig. Which means he's not going to be able to eat if he doesn't hit fresh water. See, it's an all or nothing kind of gospel. He cared more about what happens to them if he does not do this than what happens to him if he does. That's incredible. As he begins digging, the witch doctor comes out and curses him and the workers who are digging and the well caves in and the workers leave. But he does not. It's then that he learns about the myth that they're going to fall through the island and he's concerned. And so he prays. And while he prays, he continues to dig. Sometimes, friend, just like pastor's message, you've got to continue to dig your way out. An older pastor that I admire very much tells a story about a man with a mule. And he loved the mule and it was time to kill the mule. I, it's not hard for me to imagine my little dachshunds about there now, right? And uh, I look at him every day to see how much movement there is. And he's convincing me it's not time to shoot him yet. But we're close. The old man can't bear to shoot his mule. So he goes out with his shovel and he puts his mule behind him and he starts digging a hole, thinking, I will put the mule in the hole and then cover him up. And as he digs, he throws the dirt over his shoulder and he's watching the hole and he's watching the hole and eventually it's deep enough to put a donkey in. And so he turns around to look to see what's going on and his donkey is standing on a mountain behind him. What on earth's going here? So he takes... Dirt from the hole and he throws it in the air and he watches it. When it hit that donkey, it's back. He shook it off and he stood on it every time. Sometimes the devil is going to keep shoveling dirt upon you and you have to shake it off and stand on it. Other times that dirt has fallen in your well. You didn't shake it off. You didn't stand on it. It got down in your soul. Somewhere in you, you've begun to think dirty. You got dirty finances. You're giving holy hush money to the Lord. Like when there's a problem, that's when you get serious about your finances. You got dirty practices in your life. So, what do you mean, dirty practices, Eric? I mean, you think like ordinary, natural, instinctual humans. You're not driven by the Spirit of God. He's not telling you what to do. You're relying on your own arm, friends. That's dirty thinking, that's dirty love. And you have to shovel it out of your heart. You've got to get rid of it. You have to wash out the insides of your heart for that to work. This man kept digging. Things were caving in on him, but he kept digging. He kept throwing it out, looking for the fresh water. Now the natives are gathered around now because we have a full-blown standoff between the witch doctor, the pimp pastor, and John Gibson Patton. As he digs, their thinking is, if we do see water, what kind of water are they expecting to see? Salt water, because he's reached the bottom of the ocean. So when water begins to fill that hole, one of the natives, scared to death, looks at the witch doctor. He jumps down in the hole. He pulls that water to his mouth and says, it's sweet, it's rain from heaven. Oh, think on this for a minute, saints. He expected it to be salty. And it was sweet. And where did he think it must have been? It must have been rain from heaven. See, people have learned to expect 
the Holy Spirit to come from the heavens. They've learned to expect spiritual things to come from above. They've learned to expect good things from God, but it is altogether shocking to them when the earthen vessels sitting in those seats have fresh, sweet water pouring out of them. That is altogether different. Can I tell you that the nation turned on the witch doctor that day? They had a new source for water. Water without cost. They, in a single moment became receptive to John Gibson Patton's message. And why? Because the rain that had normally only come from heaven had now been given to them right out of the heart of a man. It's almost like what God put in the man was flowing out of the man for their benefit. You are jars of clay filled with the treasure of God. They are not supposed to have to look into the heavens to see the divine. They're supposed to see it in where you are led and what you do. You are a servant bride. And you're supposed to bring them the fresh water. You are a shepherd bride. You are supposed to be concerned about their welfare. Are they breathing? Are they getting revelation? You're a star Bride, you're supposed to be bringing them water from the Father. It is our job to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You can't give people what you don't have on hand. The Christian was never supposed to be in short supply of spiritual courage. Never supposed to be in short supply of the Spirit of God. In John 2, 9, they brought water to the master banquet. It had been ordinary water, but Jesus had touched it. And it became an extraordinary wine. He tasted it, and it was good. He tasted it, and it was good. He tasted it. Oh, man, what will happen when they taste of the water that flows from your life? Will it be good? Or will it be bitter? Or will it be ESPN? Or some other ridiculous carnal activity. Wow. There is no idolatry in America like sports. I know y'all hate it when I talk. I don't care. Grown men paid like kings of nations to play children's games. It is so immature. You should be embarrassed for your great love for this. You should be ashamed of yourself for it. You really should. The kind of thinking that's got no problem taking a kid to a t-ball game to miss church because it's clearly worth the exchange. How can we be in Christ and think like that? It's not the freshwater thinking for sure. It's salty. It's nasty. It's the kind of thing that is used to going to the witch doctor and getting a a fix-it charm. In Revelation 10.10, an angel gives... The Apostle John, a scroll, and he tastes it, and it is sweet in his mouth. Is the Spirit of God, the Word of God, sweet to you? In Hebrews 6, 4, we're we're said to have tasted of the heavenly gift. Have you tasted the heavenly gift? What does it taste like to you? Do you want more? My wife makes a tres leches cake. When you taste it, you want more. I moved here from Louisiana. I had no idea what choice leches was. Why on earth would you eat a soggy cake? And then I tasted it. Oh, my goodness. How can you not eat that? Keep that away from me. I want to eat it all. It's my obsession. That's what being filled with the Holy Ghost ought to be like. 
Could we put Psalm 34 and verse 8 on the screen? Tasting of the Lord and seeing that He's good. That native went in the hole and he found something he didn't expect. He expected earthly, base, salty, and he tasted heavenly. When rain comes from the wrong way, it'll cause you to turn on the whole witch doctor system. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Where is your refuge? You know, we were in the valley of Megiddo not long ago. And this fortress, this refuge still needed water. So they tunneled right through rock down to a spring. So that while in the refuge, you could drink of the life-giving flow. There's still water flowing there today. Your refuge is in the Lord and He is a continual fountain because you're supposed to be a continual fountain. Has something stopped up your well? Has something smothered the music in your heart? Did you used to be so excited about the filling of the Holy Ghost? But somehow or another now what you're most interested in is your latest illness, your, your latest disadvantagement, your latest loss. If your heart's music was being written, would it be a rap song, a country song, or a gospel song? See, when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, your life is characterized by gratefulness. You can bury your children and smile through the tears and say, the Lord is so good. Turn with me to 1 Peter 2. We're going to camp here for just a second. Because I think we should. <laughs> First Peter 2 in verse 2. Like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk. So that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Are you growing in your salvation? Are you growing? In your salvation. Are you further this year than last year? By what evidence do you say that? What did you learn? What did you put into practice? What was revealed to you from heaven? What have you endured for the sake of God's glory? Make sure that you don't just spit out the right answers without having the right walk in your life. I know all of you. Some of you are growing at a rate that I just can't believe. Some of you it's slow enough that we have to ask God whether you're actually growing. Would never say that you're full of the Holy Ghost, mostly full of complaining, full of self, full of idolatry. And that's from a pastor who really loves you. You have to take an honest look at your life and say, what is my majorative experience? Am I mostly... Full of the Spirit of God? Or am I mostly full of other things? And then we have to adjust our life to be in His presence. We're not supposed to die and go to heaven. We're supposed to be experiencing heaven now. What is robbing you of heaven? What is robbing you of heaven's taste right now? Heaven's song right now? Heaven's outlook right now? What is stealing that from you? And is it worth it or have you accepted a terrible exchange rate? Listen to what the house is that's being built. 
You are like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. Spiritual house. Because it is based on being filled with God's Spirit. He's called a living stone. Have any of you ever walked up to a rock and said, Now that rock's alive. Oh, I've upset you because I've said some of you are idolaters. Did you really not know that? How would you ever know a rock was alive? Well, if it's gushing forth enough water to feed the nation of Israel for 40 years in the desert, you would say that rock was alive, huh? See, the truth is, put Genesis 2-7 on the screen. The truth is all of us come from a dirty experience. Every one of us are from the same tainted stock, the same messed up background. There's nobody in here that's not. You, most of you know my family story. I'm not standing here descended from a royal line. You know, uh, I, I don't even want to talk about that. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. What's the dust of the ground? What is that? It's dirt. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. We all came from the same substance, and we spent our life trying to put it behind us and move heavenward. What direction are you going? Did you receive a touch from the Lord, and then you went right back to potting soil living? Content that you had your experience with the Lord in 1970, and now we're good. That's not the only breath the man gets. In fact, what it literally says there in Hebrew is God Nashima Kaid. Actually, I put the ED on it. Nashima Kaid. It is a violent wind that entered Adam. Where else have you heard the words violent wind? It entered the church, a sound like violent wind in Acts 2. The idea here is that the vital breath of God, his life, Force entered into the man, and every time the man respirates or respirates, breathes, he's testifying to the fact that he's more than just dirt. Every time you breathe in God, every time you ask from heaven, receive, every time he wells up inside you, you are showing the world you are more than just dirt. The Christian's life is supposed to respirate. It is supposed to respirit. It is supposed to be filled, be being filled with the Lord. Instead, very often, we gravitate towards the dirt. I want to remind you what dirty living actually looks like. Go to Matthew 16. In Matthew 16... <coughs> Find verse 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. That's a yucky thing to say, isn't it? I bet if Jesus was preaching and there was idolatry in the congregation, he would say so. Because he says to his best friend here, Get behind me, Satan. Do you know that a few verses earlier, Peter gets the revelation that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah? No question he's saved, right? He's, he's as saved as you were with your eight-year-old experience, right? He's saved. And look at what Jesus says to him. You do not have in mind the things of God, but of men. 
See, that's dirty thinking. Do you know what, what was the stumbling block? No, Jesus. There's not going to be any sacrifice in this. It's not going to... There'll be no loss. There'll be no difficulty. I won't let that happen. There'll be no suffering. I won't let that happen. Jesus said, you think like a man. That's dirty thinking. Where are you at in your thoughts? Are they dirty? How about Jude 19? Put Jude 19 on the screen. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. Tell me that you just did what you thought was right. That's not enough. Tell me that you just did what was logical. Not anywhere near enough. As many as are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. That's what Romans 8.14 said. He's supposed to be speaking to you. You're supposed to be filled with Him. Earthly thinking, carnal thinking, natural thinking, instinctual thinking is dirty thinking. Dirty love, dirty finances, dirty practices. We even love dirty preaching. Tell us that if we give, we will get. Tell us, please. Promise us that there's something in it for us. Tell me that it's all about me. That's, that's what we love. But the man filled with the Spirit, he doesn't think like this. Maybe we need to be filled with the Spirit again. Can I tell you that I went and spent a couple days with Jennifer alone. We uh, don't do that often at all. And after we had slept a mammoth like 14 hours, ate too much, went right back to sleep for another three or four hours, I had no idea how tired we are. Of course, we're about to be in our... In five months, we'll be in our 20th year of ministry. It's been a long time since we went and did nothing. Our idea of a vacation these days is, is to stay in the same town you live in, but go somewhere that you can sleep in an uninterrupted fashion. As soon as we had slept a little while, the first thing that I began thinking about is we need to be filled with your spirit, Lord. We need to drink of you. We're hurt. This is difficult. It's hard. Lord, our own thoughts are betraying us. We need to drink of you. And the word says that when you're thirsty, he will become in you a spring of living water. And I realized, oh man, we look for every answer except the one that we need. We need to drink of Him. So much of my thinking had become dirty. Just, how do we pay for this? What do we do with this? That's dirty thinking. The question next needs to be, Lord, what are you leading me to do now? We don't even realize when dirt is trying to take over our life again, you're supposed to be a merger of what was earthly and what was heavenly, but you're ruled by what is heavenly. 1 Corinthians 2.16 is one of those statements that you should underline in your Bible forever. Do you want to be filled with the Spirit? Yes. Do you want to be healed by the Spirit? Yes. Do you want to be a work of the Spirit on earth? Oh, man, so many, so many just want to go to church and play the game. There's lots of witch doctors out there that will do that for you. You send them your money, they'll send you a handkerchief for $19.99 that will fix all of your problems. Of course, they and their handkerchiefs will go straight to hell. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have. Say, we have. We have have the mind of Christ. Peter had the mind of men. Paul says we have the mind of Christ. See, you have a choice between thinking like dirt or thinking like heaven. You have a choice between moving in the dirt or moving in a heavenly existence. You are a merger. You can swim in both worlds. What are you swimming in? Has life become for you like a sewage treatment facility and you're swimming through it just trying not to get any on your face? I mean, sometimes outlook on the world becomes so dim. Man, if I can just make it one more week. Nothing is ever good. The man filled with the Spirit sees everything is good. Everything that comes into your life is what your benevolent, loving Father brought into your life for your good and not your harm. You see everything according to His Spirit because you're filled all the way up to your eyeballs with His Spirit. What kind of eyes are you seeing with? What kind of ears are you hearing with? Do you know that the entire historical record of the church is about being filled with the Holy Ghost? Do you know that? What it comes down to is that the entire message of the book of Acts is about the empowerment of the Spirit in the life of the believer. I probably have some 15 minutes where I might be able to hold and regain your attention. I'd like to go with you to Jeremiah and talk to you about not exchanging what is glorious for what is debased and earthly. You can read about that in Jeremiah too. But we probably don't have time. I'd like to talk to you about Elihu in the book of Job, a young man who described himself as a wineskin bursting with the Spirit. He said, I should be quiet because I'm young, but the Spirit inside me has given me wisdom. He saw the world with the eyes of the Spirit. But we don't have time to read about that in Job 32. Let's get straight to the book of Acts. Let's get to the Newer Testament for those of you that love the Newer Testament. Put Acts 2.39 on the screen. Do you want to be filled with the Holy Ghost? Yes. You know, if we ask you if you want a free trip to New York, if we ask you if you wanted a new car... Man, that, uh, that so excites us because we come from the dirt. It has, do you want to be filled with the Holy Ghost? And you're like, you know, I, I got that. Of course, of course I want. I mean, the right answer is yes, right? Would you, would you give your wife and your firstborn child that others would be filled with the Holy Ghost? If you knew the cost in advance, would you have ten children knowing that four were not going to make it because of the place God sent you to see an island come to the Lord? See, we have a different level of expectation here. We have a different style of Christianity, and you have to wonder whether or not what's being passed off in America is Christianity at all in the face of historical Christianity. Do you know that the men who brought Azusa Street about lost their children in the wagon ride from Houston to Los Angeles? 
Do you know that there were such racial divides in the town that those who were first baptized in the Holy Ghost were not allowed to associate with those that were teaching about the Holy Ghost? I mean, it is incredible what people have suffered to get us the message that says you can be filled with the Holy Ghost. And today it's like the optional add-on, like a moonroof or something on your car. We need His presence. We love to sing about it. We love worship because worship has a definite end, you know. But the pursuit of being filled with the Holy Ghost is never supposed to end. So, wow, I'm just all about Jesus. Hear me, when I say Holy Spirit, that is the Spirit of Jesus. Period. He's the counselor that reminds you of what Jesus said. Are you in Acts 2.39? In Acts 2.39, we see an incredible statement after the preaching on the day of Pentecost. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God would call. This promise is for all. It's for all. Now, I have known many, many, many cessationists. They came from churches that said, we believe in the whole Bible. And then when you show them what the whole Bible says, they get angry with you. I know because I was one of them. I used to teach cessationism until I got filled with the Holy Ghost. The man with the experience is not at the mercy of the man who merely has an argument. Once you have tasted and seen this, how can you not want more? But my problem is not with the cessationist. It's with those that have grown up around the Spirit-filled gospel. And you think that because you occasionally pray in tongues, you are filled with the Holy Ghost. That's not full of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to show you that in dramatic fashion. Is that okay with you? Let's talk about first how the Spirit works in the life of a believer. Put John 4.24 on the screen. God is Spirit. And His worshipers must worship Him in spirit and truth. There is no way to adequately worship God without worshiping Him in spirit and And in truth, Jesus was standing next to a well when he said that. Put John 6.44 on the screen. We'll do these straight through John. In John 6.44, it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. The way that God draws you to himself is by his Holy Spirit. Anybody who has ever come to him has come by way of his Spirit. You can't come Unless the Spirit draw you. I didn't say it. Jesus said it and John recorded it. How about John 7, 39? We'll start in 37. 7, 37. <clears throat> On the last and greatest day of the feast. By the way, this is when they're reading Isaiah 12 and pouring water from a golden jar into 12 earthen vessels, singing about the wells of salvation. On the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink of me. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water. Say streams. Streams Streams of living water will flow from within him. 
By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. See, there was a problem. The Holy Ghost could not indwell you permanently without you being made righteous. For you to be made righteous, the the Son of God would pour out His blood on an altar in heaven that would speak a message for you. But notice how this continues in John. Look at John 14, 15. We're just walking through the Gospel of John. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be... He lives with you and will be This is a change of relationship. The spirit that drew you to the Lord and had been with you would enter inside of you. Now let's look at John 20, 22. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now let me ask, at what point is this? Is Jesus glorified or not? Are you sure? In John 20, turn to John 20. John 20, the empty tomb. John 22, 2022. Is Jesus glorified or not? See, he is glorified. And he looks right at them. In John 7, we find out that you cannot receive the Holy Ghost inside you until after Jesus is glorified. In John 20, 22, and with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. For the theologian in the crowd, this is the moment of their regeneration. They have been following him in faith, but now, having received the glorified Christ, the Spirit indwells them as believers. And do you know what is still waiting? The infilling of the Holy Ghost for an empowerment. Turn with me to Acts 1, verse 4. Say there, when there. In Acts 1, in verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. How long ago was Easter? Does anybody remember? John 20 happened as far ago as Easter is from now. This statement that they're talking about will not occur till the end of this month. Do you understand how far apart those are? They have already received the Holy Spirit, but they're going to have to learn to receive the Holy Spirit on a continual, regular basis, just like breathing. See, the point here is that you don't go to an altar a single time and receive all that you'll ever need to receive. You learn to breathe in His kingdom. You learn to depend upon Him. You learn to be being Filled in the Spirit. Do you want to be filled with the Spirit? Turn the page and go to Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, this is 50 days after his other statement. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. By the way, that is the same kind of phrasing when God breathed into Adam. 
came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They were not robots. They were not forced. The Holy Ghost enabled and they spoke. How do you get saved, friends? You have to answer a call. You have to stretch forth in faith. It is by grace through faith that you have been saved. You get filled with the Holy Ghost the same way. He will offer you something that you must then step into by trust. And you have to take many steps so that you can be said to be walking in step with the Spirit. Do you want to walk in step with the Spirit? Then you're going to have to be being filled. It has to be more than just a stamp of approval at some point in history. It is a daily breathing relationship. He'll change the song of your life. In Acts 8, 14 through 17, turn there with me just a second. I have maybe six or seven minutes for those of you that are really time conscious. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you. If they had already accepted the word of God and been baptized in the name of Jesus, why do they still need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Because it's the normative experience of all Christians in the first century. You can find this in Acts 9.17. Put that on the screen. 9.17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can find the same thing in Acts 10 with Cornelius. You can find the same thing in Acts 19. In fact, turn to Acts 19 in verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? See, you drink from this well many, many, many times. You must always be drinking from this. By the way, he prays for them and they speak in other tongues and prophesy. I have four incredible, glorious, luxurious minutes. Let me share one more passage with you. Acts 11. Matthew, you might make your way up here. Acts 11 and verse 15. Now, if you haven't followed some of what I've said, surely you will catch this. This is Peter explaining himself after going into the house of people who had such a strong prayer life that they had built memorials in the heavens and angels were going on their behalf to bring Jewish apostles to their house. And in Acts 11, 15, as I began to speak, Peter's explaining, the Holy Spirit came on them 
as he had come on us in the beginning. Say that. As, as he, he had become on us. The us here is the entire Jerusalem church. That's who he's giving his explanation to. See, the 120 in the upper room received the Holy Spirit, but so did the Jewish population of Jerusalem. When I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift, gave them, who is the them? Gentile believers. The same gift as he gave us, Jewish believers, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could oppose God? Well, obviously, he would think that he had denominational authority to do so. The Holy Spirit came on everyone who was thirsty. Now, if you look at this further, you'll find out in four chapters, Peter was filled three times. You'll find out Paul was filled many times. The idea that you walk an aisle, you come and have an experience with the Lord, and because of that experience with the Lord, you are forever full is simply not supported by Scripture. What is supported by Scripture is that the same men in Acts 2 were filled or filled again in Acts 4, Acts 5, Acts 8. You find regularly that those who were in love with the Lord were drinking of the well. Do you know why? Because if you're really going to serve the Lord, you're going to have to depend upon Him. And our natural gravitation is back to the dirt we came out of, not the heavenly substance that He's given us. And sometimes we're asking Him for more this way, and what we actually need to be doing is circumcising our hearts so what He's put in us will leak out in that direction. Whether it's a top-down or bottom-up feeling is not worth arguing about. Why not both? But the bottom line is He gives this to you. You have a choice. All you have to do is want to drink. All you have to do... It's choose not to be a dead sea. Be the kind of sea that he walks on. The Sea of Galilee. Be the kind of sea that he rides on top of. Be the kind of sea that where all of his miracles were done. You know not one miracle was done, done by the dead sea? Not one? All of his miracles were done on the Sea of Galilee. Do you know what this means? If you want to be a life that God blesses, if you want to be used of him, you have to get your eyes on what you can do because of him. You have to. He saved you for a purpose. Now, those of you that are so theologically inclined that what you want to do is you want to see this this historical record laid out clear, I'll sit with you all day. Bro, I promise, I've been doing it 20 years. I can do it while sleeping, okay? I want you to have what you need. Those of you that know the truth of what I'm saying, it was never beyond question. Apathy just creeped up on you somewhere. Let's not descend into intellect. We have a chance. It's now 1230. We have a chance right now to ask for, to receive, and to be filled to overflowing with the presence of our King. We want that. We need that. We're going to do this in in a unique way. If you need healing, I am convinced that our church has been under such siege that some of the sicknesses are a demonic assignment against people in the church. And that we can defeat that and defeat it fairly easily. I'm convinced that some of the things that are going on need the attention of the elders for teaching, for correction, for prayer, and also for healing. If you need healing in your body, we're going to come to where this drum set is in just a minute. Right over here. Don't spread out all over. 
come straight to the drum set and say, I need healing. And you know what? We're going to watch rain come from a way that nobody believed. We're not going to need to see something come from the heavens because He's invested it in us. We're going to use what He's given us. We're going to taste and see the Lord is good. And people are going to be healed in this church. If what you need is you're realizing, you know what? I have practiced a kind of witch, witch doctor Christianity. I go to the Lord when I need something. When it's relieved, I run away. I've never really walked with the Lord in the kind of relationship that you're describing. We're going to come to the center of the room. This rock right here came from Azusa Street. This has been going on a long time before you. It'll be going on a long time after you. And we will pray for you and you can drink of the well that we're talking about. The greater majority of you who have at some point prayed in other tongues, at some point prophesied, But somehow or another, you can't describe those experiences as growing year after year. In fact, they've kind of plateaued. We want to pray for you as a group over here by the whiteboard. If you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost for the first time, you love the Lord. You are sure that you are born again. You're a little bit scared because this is new. But you want to be enabled for spiritual things. We're going to have a turkey missions team and me pray for you. We will be standing right here. Okay? Just find the fat guy in the purple shirt. It's a big earthen vessel, but it is filled with the power of God. I've prayed for people on every continent. I, am more, I have faith for you. I promise. More than enough. It's not a problem. If you have the courage to try, you will succeed. If you don't have the courage to try, then you need to go pray for salvation kind of faith to well up in you. Are you all ready to pray? Are you all okay? Can you tell I'm a little motivated about this? You know why? I know. I know. I'm not guessing. I know that this is what we need. And I'm a little sick of seeing our kids get sick. Our adults go to the hospital. I'm a little sick of what's happening right now. And I know what we need. I know it with all of my heart.